Out of the 94 Best Picture winners, only one will be crowned the bestest of the best. You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. The episode gets started in just a second. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Quest for the Bestest. It's the podcast from Backlog Banter, where us four Backlog boys, my name is Timo, joined of course by Abram, Tanner, and Tucker. We like to look at the best picture winners and figure out which winner is the bestest of the winners. That's the Quest for the Bestest. It's the shtick. We do it in random orders and we, we try to give everything a score, but all of that is unimportant because today we are talking about Annie Hall, the film directed by Woody Allen from 1977. I want to hear what you guys think about this film um, because I want to hear what you guys think about every film that we watch on the quest for the bestest. But before we do that, before we get into anything fun, I think we've got to have some unfun and talk about Tucker's already asleep. Let's talk about what we did last week. Last week, we uh, had a, or last episode, we had a great time discussing No Country for Old Men. We decided that that movie was not just quite, but very good. And so good, in fact, that it graced the top 10 spot on our list. It's at number 10. We have a new uh, a new entry to our, our highest echelon of Quest movies. It got an average mm-hmm. score of 9.2, very far up there. So if you want to hear, hear about why we gave it that score and who was the outlier in that score, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at them right now. I'm looking at them. Um, <laughs> go check that review out. Um, and now I will pass it off to Abram, who's got some featured comments from the weeks that were pre- leaving up to this recording. Yeah, because here's the thing, Timo. You love hearing from us about our thoughts on these movies, but what I love even more is hearing from our community about the canon of Quest for the Bestest. And today our blessed out, community. Yes. Mm-hmm. We've picked out two fine selections, and I want to start with, I want to start by going back into the Only old the vault. Only the ripest. <laughs> I want to go back into the old vault for a second, and I want to talk about Around the World in 80 Days, because you guys do a great job at commenting on old Quest episodes. New ones, for whatever reason, not so much, but you love going to that back catalog. And mm-hmm. we have our, um, our friend and possible AI, Brian Mui, here with a comment that I'd like to read out, uh, who says about Around the World in 80 Days, quote, the movies is what the UK spirit was, but today all losted. No gentleman, no on time, no promise, no wise, no exploitation. Everyone stay come for a zone. Services average. Now, all I really want to know, <laughs> there's just one thing I want to know. Brian, are you a robot? Let me know in the comments. Are you okay? Are you or have you ever been a robot? We need to go through Borg de-assimilation with you to be to be Mm. unbecome a robot. I'm gonna. We need to give them. Oh God, what's what's the the void conf test? Yeah, thank you. you. The void conf test. That's exactly what I was about to say. But I think you would pass. I don't think you would. I think you would get shot if you tried to administer the VK test. Cells. (laughs) Brian, you come across a turtle. It's on his back. What do you do? <laughs> but we also have a comment. We got one comment on uh, No Country for Old Men, and I am sorry in advance for what I'm about to say. This oh, comes no. from a treasured friend and, and new member of the community, um, Mum Rumpumpole. If that's wrong, I apologize. But I also want to praise you after that apology because you left a very insightful comment about No Country for Old Men. You said, "Quote: Wonderful observation about men being all examples about the men being all examples of classic ideas of masculinity." 
that really rang a bell for me and what and made a movie that I never liked all too well a tad more interesting. So thank you for principally um, uh, sort of lauding my intellect. So yeah, I like that awesome. comment quite a bit. And uh, thank you for just thank you changed someone's mind. Wow. Uh, I, w- I would add, thank you for leaving a comment that isn't uh, bemoaning us for espouting woke politics or uh, as, or d- about the film itself being woke politics. We hate those comments. We don't like to see those comments. Yeah, yeah we're know? getting this weird, like, a- like anti-SJW fucking grift in our Quest comments, and I want it to yeah. end. I don't think it will, but we're probably mm-hmm. just going to acknowledge them only in our, our Discord. Our videos are on the funny. internet. Right. Yeah, it, it, I think it's just growing pains, of course, sure, of, sure, of sure, having, sure. having a presence on the internet. <laughs> right. Attracts but those are our comments. Well, mm-hmm. let's move past all that and head... <sighs> To Annie Hall, who wants to give yeah. a little synopsis of what this film is all about? Tucker, I kind of think you want to do it. Sure, sure I, I guess I kind of do. Um, yeah. But because it's actually very easy to give a synopsis for this film because Woody Allen does it himself. In the opening moments of the film, he, he, <laughs> he has a talking straight to the camera and just explaining what the film is about moment, which does tie into some of the filmmaking choices, as we'll talk about later. But he's like, hey, you know, my name is Alvy, and I, I've, got some, I, I've got problems with women. And I've had problems with relationships in the past. And I recently broke up with my girlfriend, Annie Hall. Uh, and the film sort of non-linearly ends up accounting their relationship uh, through uh, multiple different sequences uh, across the, the span of the, the time they knew each other. Uh, a rather long span. Uh, and uh, through that, you are able to piece together what their relationship and dynamic is like, how it evolved, and how they learned from each other as people. Um, and and for me, this is one of the great examples of how to show uh, people connecting to one another uh, in a film. And, and, you know, spoiler alert, I really like this movie. I talked about this mm-hmm. at the end of the last episode, but I'm a big Woody Allen fan, and this film winning Best Picture is just so weird. But for me, it's really exciting because I like this movie quite a bit. Oh, there you go. Tucker? has already given us his initial thoughts. Who wants to follow up? Might as well, you know. Yeah, just I'm going to roll them up into it. It's a package deal, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll go, because this is also my second time watching this film. Um, and Annie Hall is a good movie. I, I really applaud Woody Allen's um, comedic writing skills in this, because as Tucker and I joked... Uh, Woody Allen just says when he, whenever he's making a film, he's like, "What if I were in a humorous situation?" And yeah. then he just sort of uh, takes that off the rails into Fantasyland. That uh, my favorite aspect of this film is the just sort of the uh, out of reality sequences that he sort of that his mind just sort of spins off into. Whether that's waiting in line at the movies and wishing you could pull in the the filmmaker that whatever snob behind you in line is talking about. Or you know, going into an animated sequence reminiscent of Snow White. Um, I think it, I think this film takes a few, or takes quite a few of uh, really interesting turns in its uh, creative visuals and, and writing and stuff like that. Uh, which is why I agree with Tucker that this is such an interesting win for 1977. I'll say that this film gave me a good chuckle. I laughed at this film. I thought it was pretty funny. I'm still kind of digesting it, you know, what it has to say about relationships and what it has to say about people. Um, And I don't know if I've arrived at any conclusions thematically. So maybe I'll be helped out. But I did enjoy those other elements. It it kind of was like a, it was a light fare for me. It was not a a, a film that, you know, pressured me to, to think deeply or pressured me to really examine myself all that much. But I did find myself, you know, being entertained and being 
enjoying of my time while I was watching it. So I think I, I will develop some more thoughts as we go along through this review. I just watched it today. So it's all still, for the first mm. time actually, it's all still bubbling around in my head. Um, but I'll have overall pretty good marks. I don't have a ton that I dislike about the film. Um, and so, yeah, we'll get into what uh, what it is that I do like later on, I think. Abram? Yeah, I I was laughing my ass off watching this movie. I think this is so funny. I think this movie is so funny. Consistently laughing out loud by myself in my room. And that's not something that um, films never do too often. But I... But, Woody Allen is just it. The script, it, the script has no, as to your point, Tanner, no real care about building a fabric of, of reality in a way that really makes yeah. sense. And and I think that that's quite lovely. And there's, you know, there's a little bit of Norm Macdonald in there, a little bit of Mark Norman in there, right? Obviously, guys <laughs> inspired by stuff like this, and I I love them, and I and I really love the tone and the experience of watching the film. I don't know if the film is too one note for me because I think it does have a lot of um, sort of emotional depth that is sort of unpacked through a lack of unpacking as the film goes on. Uh, I think sort of as um, Alvi's like humorous veneer starts to fall apart as the movie winds down, you start to sort of reach some sort of truth about his character. But I, but I, I think light fair Timo is a good way to put it because I, I feel like it's, I don't know if I feel like it's lacking emotional impact or what, but I find myself watching it, loving being in its world and then stepping away and just being done. You know what yeah, I, you know right. what I mean? I, I don't see this as a film I'm going to reflect on beyond its sort of whimsical comedy, which I absolutely loved, and obviously buoys this film a lot. But outside of that, I'm not sure what it really has to latch onto. Yeah, I, I think that one thing that I can really tell you is there's a genre of these movies out there. And, and so you've yeah. just scratched the surface. And guess what? It's called uh, Woody Allen's filmography because he's done almost one movie a year since 1967. And a lot of them are a lot like this. And guess what? I'm in the exact same boat. When I first watched uh, my first Woody Allen movie, which was uh, The Purple Roads of Cairo, one of my favorite movies of all time, um, I got onto a Woody Allen bender uh, on the when, when the pandemic had, pandemic had actually just started. So I was I had basically nothing else to do. And I was just watching like 12 Woody <laughs> Allen movies in the course of two months. Um, and this movie really stands out to me watching it on a rewatch because of how different it feels with its world building and emotional connection. Because for me, as someone who likes comedy and fast writing and and uh, connects to characters a lot more deeply when I find them personable through humor, this is one of the more investing uh, films emotionally that I personally have seen in this uh, Best Picture lineup because with that sense of comedy and sense of whimsy and, and playing with filmic uh, structure, I am able to really hone in on not what's being overtly told to me about emotion, but what is being implied through dialogue, through action, through interactions, through what is shown and what and what is not shown. Um, in, in a way that seeing someone break down crying in some of our other best picture winners, like uh, a Titanic, which is a movie I love, or a Moonlight, which is a movie I love, I find this a lot more satisfying and interesting because it's subverting what you expect and what this film exists as is a flipping on the head of the romantic comedy genre for from the screwball comedies of the, of the 30s and 40s to the 50s and 60s light screwball comedies um, where every movie is structured the exact same way coming from uh, It Happened One Night, which we also reviewed, or, or The Apartment, but where we're not we're not following a Cary Grant or a Rock Hudson. We're following the entire opposite of that a guy that mm -hmm. maybe you don't like. 
Maybe you wouldn't want to talk to this guy, and maybe he wouldn't want to talk to himself, but those kind of people also find love, and they build relationships, and relationships that falter and fail. And Eddie Hall has such interesting things to say. Both both the person and the film has such mm-hmm. interesting things to say about the nature of relationships that gives you a new perspective on what a romantic comedy can be. And of course, this he Woody Allen's own genre is deep. He's done a lot of movies exactly like this, and it's influenced what we see romantic comedies as today, of more personable people, more relatable, not perfect uh, Rock Hudson, Audrey Hepburn types in our mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Tucker, I, I think you you bring up a good starting point for a, a deeper discussion, and that is the characterization of Woody Allen by himself as Alvy Singer, who is basically himself. Yes. Um, and from it, what we know. <laughs> from what we know, yes. Uh, and the film follows his relationship with Annie Hall, as portrayed by Diane Keaton, who obviously Woody Allen and Diane Keaton were actually dating at the time that this film was made, and it's largely based on their real relationship. Um, and... I just find it interesting that that Woody Allen is just so open about like yeah I'm a little fucking wiener boy and I'm I I, I make wisecracks all the time I'm what's interesting to me about his character in this is that does he have redeeming qualities I'm not so sure that he does like he's sure I don't even know I don't even know if I could say a absolute good thing about Alvy Singer is my thing. I, um, but I like watching him. He's he's highly entertaining. That's what it is. Yes. But he's here's the thing. What, that's what, a good would quality. I, would that's, I date hey, Alvy Singer? Like me. Yeah. <laughs> would I date Alvy Singer is my question. My answer would be no. I think my answer would be no. No, I would I would hope not. Um but yeah. that's actually the the core I think of this film's mm-hmm. narrative is the self-introspection. And, and that quote that he keeps bringing up about how I wouldn't want to be a member of a club that ha- would have a member like me, or, you know, I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing. And that's so weird. That's so strange. This guy is not confident in himself, but he's confident in interactions with others, and he is constantly thinking about his own actions in the way that, that that he portrays himself, but he also simultaneously doesn't care. And that weaves such an interesting up-and-down path of, I like this guy because he's hilarious and he has interesting things to say, but he's also really annoying. I, and mm-hmm. I, I like that balance of the movie strikes. I think what's yeah. interesting about that also is that the film is sort of invites you to be in conversation w- with him when he talks directly to you. I mean, I think yes. of the moment when he is having the conversation with Annie about her, you know, saying uh, something about my wife when she meant to say her life. And then he turns yeah. to the camera and goes, I'm not crazy, you heard wife too, right? And it's mm-hmm. this sort of interesting... The subtitles say wife as well. <laughs> yeah, it, it's this sort of thing where um, he's trying to commiserate with you, but as an audience member, you might not be there to commiserate with him. There's this, this like implicit thing that, oh, the audience is on my side. And I find that to be a really interesting part of the dynamic, because I agree with you. I think that he is unlikable. I even think at a certain point he becomes grating while, while watching him, because I'm like, can you just goddamn say something of meaning mm. and substance but i don't say that as a knock against the film because i think it's situ- how the film situates his character is really fascinating and part of what makes the movie so entertaining because there's this there's this tension even between him as a fourth wall breaking narrator and the audience who's not really rocking with anything he has to say mm-hmm. yeah he is he is a, a self-loathing narcissist, I believe, is what I, what I would describe Alvy Singer as. Sure, in, in that's that, what you know, his, he, his psychiatrist. He views him, yeah. He views himself simultaneously as like this sad sort of uh, this sad sad man who had a tortured childhood and uh, in, in all of this, but at the same time, he's like, 
but I'm smarter than, like, the average person out there. I'm smarter than a lot of people out there because, uh, you know, I've always got a wisecracker, too, in my back pocket to whip out. And, uh, you know, it's just that sometimes I can't say those things because I'm not confident enough. But sometimes I can, uh, you know. So, yeah, I, I think his characterization is just really interesting in conversation with, of course, Diane Keaton as Annie Hall, mm-hmm. who is this sort of... Uh, who gets introduced as this like very fidgety, nervous, bubbly person in that in their very first interaction, which comes later in the film than she actually gets introduced because this film is told all sort of out of Super sequence. Super jumbled, but you, yes, it, it it it's jumbled up in a way that you can always tell like when stuff is going on. It's very well done in that regard. It's not confusing. Mm-hmm. It's just out of order. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, and I love the interaction that they have when they are on her balcony, and we have the subtitle bit going on oh, where they're both sort of like pontificating on like photography and and photographic, you know, uh, sort of uh, messages and th- and themes and things like that, and the mechanics of it and, and stuff like that. And just the subtitles are, oh God, he probably thinks I'm an idiot. I, I clearly have no idea what I'm talking about. I wonder if she's good in the sack or whatever and stuff like that. Um, just like the, the the actual thoughts that are going on in their heads because they're both trying to impress each other because they both view each other as these intellectual sort of uh, New York uh, bohemians, I guess. Yeah, and it's that honesty that makes this film so refreshing to me is we all have inner monologues and we're all doubting ourselves, but this kind of thing is never really portrayed through film because through classical filmmaking style, you don't hear what's going on in people's heads almost ever. And the externalization of, of a, a narrator is usually relegated to some amorphous voice that is telling the us a God. story. Yeah, but this is the voice of the person that we're learning about. And being able to learn about Alvi's uh, inner thoughts while watching his actions through through fourth wall breaks, through the subtitles, through multiple bits, as I as I want to get into, I think we, we certainly need to break down each of these, these uh, mm-hmm. out-of-context elements. Um, makes this film super unique and it is learning about these two people that makes this film so much more interesting to me than your average rom-com is because usually you know you, you, the situation they're in is what's funny they're they're thrown mm-hmm. into some spy thing or you know someone's been murdered or, or what, whatever it is um, but the fact that we are just watching two people live their life in New York and neither of them are like that interesting as people like she's she's a singer and he's a comedian but it's not the craziest job this isn't this isn't marry me where j-lo is mm-hmm. is the most famous <laughs> pop star on the planet uh, yeah. and, but and, you become yeah. more interested and uh connected to these two people because they feel more honest and real than almost any uh characters i've seen even with the craziness and the fourth wall breaking that actually allows it to feel like a more honest portrayal of the human experience than you usually get through films like this. Yeah, I'm thinking about those fourth wall breaks and how like how seamlessly they are integrated into the film. Just like the the construction of them, you know, you'll have a character turn to the camera and look directly and you'll have it's almost like, you know, I'm just thinking about when they revisit um it's kind of early on in the relationship between Annie and Alfie when they go to Alfie's childhood home underneath the roller coaster. Um yeah. Great writing. That's funny. and the camera goes so funny. And in how in that scene, once the fourth wall breaks start happening, it's not just you know Woody Allen that gets to turn to, to wink and nod at the camera. Like everyone in the scene is like gets to throw in their own two cents about you know oh this idiot that I'm talking to or oh this bozo over here is this you know got nothing to say and like that you get to hear that those elements about the the family and how. 
to me, like Alfie's troubled childhood was didn't seem super troubled. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he, he projects a lot of his own beliefs about things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we and we I feel like we get to see him projecting quite a lot onto other characters as well because I feel like the film yeah. is is very wisely told from Alfie's perspective and his perspective only. And the film, even though it lets us into the heads of other characters, I don't trust that that's their like thoughts. I'm like, sure. this is what Alfie is thinking. They're thinking, but mm, and and like yeah. it, it works for the scene and it's funny and it, it, but like perhaps it's not even the real deal. You know, everyone has their sure. own internal thoughts, and unless mm. you're a psychic, you don't get you're not privy to them from other people. Yeah, uh, a good quick example of that that I that I was just scrolling through my notes here that I that I wanted to shout out of um, Alfie. The, uh, of a Alvi's thoughts about someone being depicted on screen, or he, his thoughts about someone else's thoughts being depicted on screen, rather. Uh, sure. is Get your whiteboard in out. The We're dinner with Annie. Yeah, in the dinner with uh, Annie's family. Uh, when it's the it, the whole family's there, and it's the <laughs> grandmother, and she it's just a quick shot, and she looks over at him, and he's sort of like in the full Hasidic Jew uh, get up, and then it's just that one shot, and then it's never again. He's like, and it's obviously because. He is convinced as a person that anyone who is sort of opposed to him in any fashion or he views as opposed to him, it must be anti-Semitic. Any well, system, any group of people, any individual person must be anti-Semitic. And he told him that the, that her, her grandma was a... Well, she said she's a classic Jew hater. Oh, yeah. no, he wait, said that. Wait, did, yeah, he said that. He said that. Oh, uh, okay. He, he, he turns to Cameron and says, and, and the grandma is a classic Jew hater. No, but in the scene, she, there's a scene she does prior say where yes. she oh, sets she, it up. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that scene, super subtle, besides from mm-hmm. this, like, the, the you know, your non-diegetic cutting. But you, like, mm-hmm. the, yeah, those, the everyone, like, looking at each other and, like, the weird, that scene is so weirdly awkward. It's like the awkwardness that you almost, like, you can kind of feel it. It's like it feels kind of awkward, and then, but not like that much. But then, if you start like really reading into the scene, you're like, "Oh, this is painful." Just like mm-hmm. yeah, thinking about and, and, like and I've it's... been there at that dinner table. <laughs> it, the, the great thing about those emotional moments that we're reading into these scenes is they are exaggerated and heightened by the filmic techniques that this film goes through. You're talking about that scene. The shot of him in the full Jewish getup is hilarious, but it's that where that film. Or where that scene comes to life is when you get a split screen look at her family and his yes. family, what his family's uh, dynamic was like at the table, and then you get a little bit of thoughts of about his differences, his thoughts on the differences between the two of them, and they're what, they're talking over here, they're talking over here, and I don't even know how you like really time that out or or block <laughs> it so the editing because it's all done in like single takes, and it's such an interesting way to show thoughts and reality and intertwine those in such interesting ways and quickly in that same bit the mother of annie's mother and uh alvi's father talk to each other and yeah. across, make any sense. across the time thing and they say um uh, we we uh, they that at the split dinner thing they say uh his father says uh what or, or no, sorry Al- Annie's mother says, "Oh, what sins? I don't understand. You know, the the dinner is about talking about their sins and stuff like that." And then Alvy's father says, yeah, "To tell you the truth, we don't know either." <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just it's just nice to see a film so committed to its own bit, yeah. um, and and it segues into I think maybe my hardest laugh in the entire film when you get the complete nonsense scene of Christopher Walken taking Alvy into the bedroom to explain what he thinks mm-hmm. of when he goes driving. 
And then they reveal that he is driving them to the airport, and then that slow pan across oh. the car to Alvi. Like, I love. <laughs> I, I was I was fucking in hysterics as that was happening because mm-hmm. to your point, Tucker, it, it is so steadily executed. the 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 pace of that pan is just perfect because it goes from the scene of what the what, what why are they t- what, this is just a reverent and bizarre to oh my god his life is about to end and it's really really yeah. quite clever and I think it speaks to something you were saying earlier, Tucker, about the idea that what is or isn't shown sort of makes a suggestion about. The, the emotional state of, of Alvi. And, and sure. I think that that's a really interesting example of it because there's this moment for uh, him to connect on a deeper level to Annie's family, but there's no sense of, um, no sense of genuine uh, attempt to connect in that at all. It's, it's one big joke. It's, oh, the, the, gr- the grandma's a classic Jew hater. Not, not, not oh, I want to impress the family. I, I want to become part of the halls or whatever nothing's ever taken serious and i think that the absence of a sort of introspection on his behalf of oh my god this is a big moment i gotta get this right to your point i think sort of speaks to the emotional truth of the movie which is that he has no real interest in acknowledging his own emotional feeling Mm. And, and i think it's really interesting this idea that i feel is explored across the entirety of the film i can see where you're coming about that idea, Abram, because when um, the film has this kind of interesting and I would say advanced discussion on um, therapy and therapists, yeah. he Alvi makes a big point. He's what do they call it though? They don't call it that. Analysts. Yeah, yeah. Analyst. he's been going and seeing the analyst for fifteen years, and he hasn't made any progress. And he and by the end of the movie, he doesn't make any progress either, which mm-hmm. would seem to indicate that you're correct, Abram, in his just unwillingness to realize and to accept his own emotions. And perhaps his comedy is a deflection of that. Whereas Annie is kind of the opposite of that. And she doesn't go see the analyst for 15 years and she goes the first time and it works out brilliantly and she has all these epiphanies and then keeps going. And by the end of the film, the way that they like develop as people, I would say is that Annie comes out um, much stronger. The relationship improves her situation quite a bit whereas for alvi it's uh, he he's kind of the same old schmuck he was but maybe he didn't even want to change in the first place so i think that this thematic idea of how people change and how they deal with their emotions is maybe anchored by our our therapist kind of note yeah. in the film it's not really a plot line but it is it mm. pops up here and there. it's a consistent theme because they consistently talk about how their life is changing and how the influence of other people changes their thoughts or doesn't change their thoughts, as, as Abram was saying. Um, and it's interesting that the film is actually framed around the changes that Alvi has on Annie's life. Is she starts off thinking that you know she's she's a nobody, and and she doesn't she thinks she has potential, but doesn't really have the confidence to realize it, and and never really fully uh, dedicated herself to education or to her career. And the thing that you were saying, uh, Tanner, earlier about how Alvi doesn't really have any, any redeeming qualities, that is true on his personal perspective, or on uh, in terms of just himself as a person. But he actually does have a very good positive influence on uh, Annie's life. 
And and the way that you watch her grow and and learn to uh, appreciate intellectual conversations and realize herself more as as a feminist person that that sort of flowers over the course of the film and and become an actor and want to have her own life. There's a really interesting intertwining there of where Annie is. And I think we should talk more about her. She's you know she's nervous. She's a, she's a good person. She just wants the best out of people, but she doesn't have the confidence that she needs someone else to sort of be able to pull out of her. Um, and the way that their relationships intertwine, and Alvi doesn't change, but she does change, but you also see Alvi changing in subtle ways because he realizes he's finally made a real connection with someone, and the sense of longing that he feels uh, when they break up is is really palpable, and it's an interesting way to show two characters that change in such different ways, but shown through the perspective of somebody who's just totally off the wall about his perspective on himself. Agree, disagree? I think that's a very good point, Tucker. I like that. Um, thinking about, to me, the reason why this relationship, the breaking of this relationship, the film, it sets a very light tone. And 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 because of that, the when these two break up, and we, because we know it happens like right at the beginning of the film, it isn't this like melodramatic, like a like not necessarily aromantic, but this like painfully romantic moment. It's it's just kind of a thing that happens. It's just part of the yeah. plot. And it's I think that because of the comedy, but because of the places where they end up at the end of the film, it it's still a satisfying relationship that we get to see. The, yeah. the development of it, it's very cute. There's lots of great moments. The, it's, it becomes much more realistic as they fight and as they, you know, they confront each other. They're like, you're just using this because you don't want to have sex with me right now. And like, you know, mm-hmm. th- those kind of moments as the film progresses or I think about it in the terms of the relationship. I made the order of the film. It's so jumbled up. I'm like, OK, well, clearly this happened at the beginning of the relationship. And, you know, the development feels realistic. And when it comes to a close, it feels realistic. And even though the characters can be harsh and bitter at times. The the way they end the relationship is not. And so it feels, it still feels good to watch. I think Woody Allen understands that like, even if you're going to go for that gut punch with they don't, they don't get back together. Will they, won't they? Mm-hmm. They won't. Um, You know, it's not devastating because of the way it, the whole, yeah. the film handles it. I think it's the entire, the, the entire film is working towards that. It's not just plot or acting or, themes or anything well i also just really like the sort of emotional unraveling as the film comes to its close as we're sitting there and we're waiting for our mashed yeast that uh alvi orders right and there's this he's got like this tick in him he's this continuing frame so you're coming you're not coming back to new york with me like you can't even believe it and there's a certain vulnerability there that i think i i think the film for as much as it's about people it's also about sort of art as an outlet for expressing emotion because yeah. I think it's I think there's something quite powerful about the idea that this guy who what's reinforced to us across the film he's cynical right he's very very mm-hmm. cynical the only books he buys Annie are about death yes great but then the play he writes is about them being together and him being happy and then the segue from that to us watching in this very voyeuristic sense them have these moments of what seem like they should be closure, but it's seeming like opening that door for Alvi again when we, we see them talking through the window and then we're inside the window and they're on the street and she walks away and he's standing there yeah. at the crosswalk. I think that there is a, a, a emotional depth there and a sort of nonetheless emotional gut punch, even though it's it's not the melodrama. There, You're right, Timo, there is no melodrama. But I think it goes to what I was saying earlier about the ways that we sort of intuit emotion yeah. is, is is quite powerful. 
and part of the reason why I think the ending is is maybe the richest the film ever gets in terms of maybe having something to say about art and emotion and sort of processing feeling. Hilarious yeah. to think about Tanner's, the one trivia that he gave us earlier that our leads were dating at the time. So it's like, think about the meta of him, of Alvi writing a play. Like there's the play inside the movie. The play is about the movie relationship and the movie is about the real life relationship. Yeah. He's, um, he's got levels. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was. Timo, you said that I gave you a piece of trivia there, and uh, I'll give you another one right now because Abram brought up the ending, and uh, there are a number of uh, what we would now call cameos, but at the time were just appearances from starting out actors. Yeah. Uh, one of the ones that we get at the very end that you can hardly notice because it's so far away of a shot is uh, Woody Allen's date when he meets uh, Annie again in front of that theater is Sigourney Weaver. Really? Uh, in, in her hmm. first ever on-screen appearance. It's Sigourney Weaver. Um, we also get, of course, Jeff Goldblum uh, appears briefly on screen One at the line. Los Angeles party. Jeff uh, Goldblum jump scare. Because I'd yes. seen this movie, totally forgot he was in it. And then yes. Autumn like, is that Jeff Goldblum? And we're both like, huh, what? <laughs> uh, apparently Danny Elfman also uh, is at the Los Angeles party uh, when, it, when we're there. Um, and, oh, uh, uh, Truman Capote. Truman Capote like walks by on the on the str- New York street at some point, Whoa. and apparently uh, it's when he's talking, uh, he's making some comment about Truman Capote is when he's on screen. I don't remember that part of the film, but um, yes, that, that's just a fun little interesting thing. Yes. Uh, oh, uh, and on the, along that same line, when uh, he pulls out that director McLuhan at the movie theater, um, he did. Woody Allen did try to get uh, some other bigger names uh, that we more, would more recognize, such as. Federico Fellini and Louis Bunuel. Uh, it would have been so funny if he got Fellini or Bunuel. Oh my yeah. god! Yes, yes, yes. Because I have no idea who that the, person they were the, talking about was. The, the dude, I, I don't know either. That to, you're talking about the part where he, the obnoxious film bros, standing behind yeah. him. Yeah. He's like, yeah. wouldn't it be great if he could do this? You know nothing mm. of my work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did have a question because um, I hear I hear all these things that you guys are saying about Alvi and. What this film is saying about you know emotional growth and relationships and how that impacts Alvi, but I maybe I, maybe I'm just a cotton-headed mini muggins or something like that because I still th- I still view Alvi as a uh, as a quite stagnant character in this film. Hmm. Um, you know I I, I I struggle to find elements of this film, find scenes where either subtly or overtly he benefits Annie in any way to help her grow and mature I guess as a person uh so uh, yeah maybe, maybe I'm just like completely glossing over those elements of the film but I I, I just ha- didn't recognize those same things that you guys were talking about hmm. I mean Tanner I think I ag- agree in large part that he doesn't really change but the film is so non-linear that I think it's maybe mostly just trying to express this sort of central idea that beneath all of all of Alvi's Alviness is is that man who wants to write a play where he's with Annie in, in the end, right? I don't think it's as much about growth as it is sort of about revelation, which yeah. is maybe part of the reason why, on the whole, I find the film to be kind of flowery because you're you're right, there is no real sense of arc to follow. There's a lot of him no. being indignant. I think intentionally so, like the. A very funny man on the street sequence as he's talking yes. to other people um, where he kind of continually refuses to take accountability for anything that happens in his life. 
And I, and I think you're right, Tanner. I don't really think that changes. I think he sort of comes in and he makes demands of people and says that they're stupid if they don't listen. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I think we, we learn more about what's underneath that veneer as the film goes along. Yeah. I, I, I guess I maybe read into it a little bit, but from placing together the film in its linear plot order in the or uh, you know unscrambling it from the order that it's presented to us in i think you do see some pretty solid growth from him now it's not super overt but the way that you see him interact with his first two wives who we don't oh, get sure. a lot of yeah. their relationship with and then the way that he, he he develops his relationship with annie through their ups and downs i think does show growth as a person as he does really come to care about someone and when he gets that call from annie at the rush over to her house at 3 a.m and it's a, and it's the spider the size of a buick in her bathroom there is a there are true moments of tenderness between them that i frankly don't think you would have gotten from the alvi who uh was just sleeping with these other women that became his wives but he had distant relationships with them he has a, a very personal connection to annie and, and they do have a very shared sense of humor and so when you you see him trying to recapture that and i think that in that moment when he tries to recreate the fucking mm, lobster, the lobster bit. Yeah. Holy crap, it's so funny. Uh, yeah. But that is a moment that shows character growth, in my opinion, because that person, we wouldn't have gotten it from the person that we started with at the beginning of the story, of, of him walking out on, on the stage or, or uh, not quite understanding what other people are thinking. He has a connection to Annie, and that's why he's chasing after her so much. And maybe that's, maybe that's not, like, the most satisfying or interesting uh, character growth, but... It's probably the most growth you're ever going to get out of Alvy Singer, which is why mm. I think it is so satisfying to me on an emotional level because I feel like I know this guy and watching him change even this slight bit and having a true emotional connection with someone shows that even the most cynical of people are capable of, of some amount of change. Sure, Perhaps and, and, uh, it's the film being clear about him not changing, that we have other yeah. characters who do change and that when you have that conflict between you know, static and changing, static and changing characters, then you can notice the difference in the way that they, that they act and the way that the film like talks about them and the film presents these characters. I think that you're right. I don't think Alvi changes very much in the film, but I think it's very, that's the point. I think he is not supposed to really I think it's a good choice that that happened, frankly. I, I think what's kind of interesting about it is that, we, we get that early moment of him um, being recognized on the street when he's waiting for Annie to go see the movie. Mm-hmm. And he's like oh my God. Un, uninterested or completely unwilling to take any sort of uh, compliment about his work or sort of recognize who he is and was very uh, hesitant to sign the autograph or whatever. I think that sort of speaks to how limited the point of view of the narrative is because he seems to be sort of as he is on a character level, as a, on like a filmic framing level, we don't really get an understanding of him as a person, really. And I think that's part of why we don't see any mm-hmm. change. Because when you start to really put the clues together, like, clearly Alvi is a man of some wealth and repute. Like, there's little things you can pick up on. Like, mm-hmm. when there's a moment of him and, and Annie trying to move in together and he's getting cold feet, he's like, oh, my accountant, you know, I'm, I'll get my accountant and I'll write off your apartment as, as like a business expense or whatever. Or there's a moment when he Which arrives... Which obviously works because she still has her apartment later on in the Buick Spider scene. <laughs> yeah, or, or when he goes to um, Los Angeles to visit her at the end and he's rented a Cadillac or all kinds of things like... 
there are these signifiers that he's a man of wealth, a man of influence. He's going to present an award on TV. And this isn't really directly answer, answering your question, Tanner, but I think mm. it's just sort of an interesting exploration in his character of we get very little understanding of what Alvi does besides from sort of like script relations with, 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 with women. Mm-hmm. We know that he works as a comedian. We get that occasionally. He's on stage at college or whatever, but where, where what's Alvi's house like? What, what's he doing? Where's his money mm-hmm. coming from? Who are these friends that he sometimes hangs out with? Like, I think the film intentionally doesn't really want to comment on Alvi. Yeah, sure. and, I, and I think that's probably because we are watching it we're watching it so far up his own ass that it's hard to see who he is from the outside. Is He doesn't think of himself as a comedian. He thinks of himself as this intellectual who has problems with women. That's all that he, that's his mantra in his own mind. He's like, I've got problems with women, but, and you know, I'm smarter than everyone else. That's kind of how he started describing yeah. this. But there are these external things that other people perceive of him as a comedian, probably as someone of influence and power and wealth, that, that he refuses to acknowledge because that doesn't fit his own mental uh, shape of who he is. And so we just ostensibly never see it once and he never admits it, which I think, I mean, you're, like, you're, you're unlocking things in my brain. That's a, it's a great point about the framing of this film, but the reality of who he is as a person. Sure. And uh, Tucker, you said you wanted to talk more about Annie Hall. And I, yeah. th- this gets into my, uh, my the second part of my question, which is something that you brought early, up earlier, is that the positive influence and growth that Alvi causes in Annie. And that was something I also wanted to uh, maybe press you on a little bit. If you could enlighten some of those moments to me. Because, of course, as we we mentioned when we started talking briefly about her, Annie starts out as she is stumbling over her words like yours truly. And she is clearly very nervous to be interacting with Alvi because she has like a schoolyard crush on him. Essentially, she's like, "Do you do you do you have a do you have a car? Do you need a ride home?" He's like, "I don't have a car." She's like, "Oh well, I have a car." He's like, "Well, then why did you ask me if I, if you could get a ride home with me?" She's like, "I don't know. Do you want a ride home?" Yeah, um, yeah. And we, we got a lot of stuff like that, and then the subtitle bit that I talked about earlier. And, um, you know, she is a singer and she's clearly not very confident in that until she, you know, ultimately becomes more confident uh, late in the film when we get uh, basically an entire song from her, uh, from Diane yeah. Keaton, uh, who Which I ends who the I, film. Yeah, who, who I love in this movie as well. God, yes, uh, I, I th- she she has a great screen presence. I mean, she's in that that costume in that te- post tennis game scene that we, I was talking about. Uh, her her own clothes, by the way. That was not a that was not a costume. That was just oh. Diane Keaton coming to set in her, in her own clothes. But um, I guess my question still stands about like the uh, at the growth aspects that come out of Alvy and Annie's relationship. Well, I mean, for me, they're 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 pretty obvious because it is the changes that we see in her as a person that are almost entirely, and of course we're talking about a film that is that is pu- published and, and, and thought of through a male's perspective, through mm-hmm. the eyes of Alvy Singer, but the, the changes that we see are, I, I think, pretty strong positives, and you might be able to argue that anyone could have helped make these changes to her, mm-hmm. but Alvy does is the one push in the her movie. In, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and pushes her in positive ways. I mean, he, she was maybe not even going to go sing, that night he's like no i, I want to see you i should you should go and mm-hmm. afterwards she's like oh i'm i'm not i didn't do well you know the audience was terrible and he's like no you were great and he gives her genuine compliments and yeah. pushes her to become mm-hmm. better as a singer and is ostensibly the only reason she goes to to analysis and, and, mm-hmm. and he pays for it which is another to abram's point, point yeah. for abram about mm-hmm. him being a, a man of wealth i'm like christ how much is he paying for this um 
and, and it's, the 19, keeps, it's the 70s. It probably costs like 25 cents or whatever. <laughs> it's true, you know, inflation and all that. Yeah. Um, but and and pushes her to go back to uh, to continue her education, which allows her to become more confident in herself. And mm. that's where the divide comes. Is Alvi is so focused on what he wants and how people are at the moment he likes them best is that when they change, he can't even believe it. Like he. He tries to tell her to go learn about these crazy things. And the moment that she's passionate about it and starts learning more about the world, he's like, no, that stuff's crap. You know, education's for for phonies. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think there's pretty overt ways that he pushes her to change. I mean, sure. who knows? She might have achieved those things on her own. But it is the influence that the two have on each other that is that is pretty clearly explained through these differences from her at the beginning versus her at the end. Okay, I, I see. I see what you're talking about now because I was, I was, I assumed that you were talking about like more thematic, emotional level things as opposed no. to like, but material things, which is the examples you gave. So yeah, yeah, okay. Well, it's I, material stuff, but it's also uh, emotional stuff and confidence and well, yeah, and I know, I know. I, I get, I see, get it. Yeah. See, I don't necessarily. I agree with you, Tucker, on, on like a, on like the the surface material level, but I, I completely disagree on like an emotional level because I think that. In the examples you give, for instance, he tells her to stop going to school when she starts to strike up some sort of r- romance with a professor. Mm-hmm. So he's got a very selfish reason for her to stop going to school. It's, sure, that's it's true. A, it's as soon as her going to school gives her more possibilities, like se- sexually, that he's like, no, you got to stop going to school. Mm-hmm. Or even the, it's the same uh, we thing get, going to L.A. too. Yeah, mm-hmm. going to LA, he, he I mean he shuts down her going to um the the party with the producer the first time around and then he goes to LA basically against her career progression to yank her back to the East Coast. And even the analysis thing, when we get that sequence of them both of the analysis together, there's mm-hmm. this Annie's basically explicitly saying that she feels like him paying for this is like a a sexual bargaining chip in a way. So I don't really see anything he does as being in her interest, really. I see it basically as being in service to what he ultimately wants out of her. Yeah. I think no, we can that, all agree that Elvie Singer is a is a selfish person. Yeah, and he and he's manipulative, and that's yeah. he certainly yeah. influences the relationship and is part of the cause of the downfall of their relationship. But I I, I would say that I I still think that it's it ultimately is positive things because the way that she ends up happy without him is because of things that he pushed her to do is become more confident in her ability as a performer to help realize herself through education and therapy things that she never would have considered before because she was happy. Or, you know, to the extent that she was sitting in her bed and smoking weed as as her way out instead of thinking more critically about herself. And it's the moments where it's the moments of tension where he d- actually wishes that that didn't happen that I think are are to your point. But it is you you do see her grow and that, that conversation she has with her analyst is her sitting in the chair having those thoughts. You're right. But m- mostly realizing that she doesn't have to give in to his whims and she becomes more confident in herself as a person, which she has very low self-confidence at the beginning and and you can read it from his lens as as a negative and he's doing this for personal benefit but she becomes a stronger person a more independent and interesting and intellectual and and self-confident person by the end of the film and i think those are, are pretty good positives even if they came from a place of, of self-interest from alvi's perspective those are the uh the thematic eggs i guess that she gains from the relationship as, as the line that ends the film why are we in relationships? I suppose we stay in it for the eggs. Um, so that so there you go. Maybe you know it is. We use a large yeah. vibrating egg. 
Oh, there right it now. is. <laughs> yeah, the movie's all about eggs in a way, and I think there's something to that. Um, but no, I Did think they ever make eggs. No, I don't think no, so. No, they make lobsters. Try to make a lobster, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I think I think the, the note that it ends on, the line that it ends on with Woody Allen giving this narration about, uh, you know, he starts it off as he always does with like, it reminds me of that old joke. And then he goes into, right. I suppose we stay in relationships for the eggs. I sub- Which to me means we stay in relationships because they are ways, they are in- human interactions in which we can grow. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, that, that happens with Annie, of course, out of selfish reasons from Alfie, uh, of course. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, she, she does, you know, become more confident. She moves to L.A. and she seems like to be a bigger person when she comes back and sees Alfie uh, in, in New York that during that last one of those final scenes. Um, and I just don't know if uh, Alfie ends up the same way, which is why, we you know, we talked about him being a, a sort of stagnant character in that he is sort of still obsessed with this idea of chasing Annie, chasing that interaction that he had with Annie and not really gaining anything from the relationship. That'd be a great name for a movie, but, you know, maybe maybe change the A name a little mm, bit, you know, directed by Kevin Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, like like what Tucker, you mentioned about him trying to recreate this exact same interaction that he had with Annie with a different girl. And um, the the montage that we get of like all the relationship highlights at the end, yeah, and, uh, and those are a lot scenes. of really genuine moments between the yeah. two of them. Uh, and the the final scene being about I the time that I saw her again and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, for sure. It's time it's time for me to do it. I do it in every episode. No movie's the right length. I think this one's ah, too short. Okay. Oh, um, I think this is the right length. I'm going to disagree. I think this is a, a very well. It's it's a little under two hours, right? It's no, basically ninety minutes. Ninety minutes, three, yeah. Oh, yeah, like that. Nice. See, see, the reason I say that though is because I feel like I ultimately leave this movie with like a notepad full of interesting like asides and ideas, right? Sure. The the egg idea. There's there's this idea about sort of the hollowness of criticism, which I find to be very very funny. There are these ideas about um, emotion and everything. But I feel like I just want things to be sort of massaged out a little bit and, and developed right. a little bit more. And I and I find especially once th- we're starting to wrap up and we have um, Annie out in L.A. and she's seemingly making this great life for herself and we have Alvy like becoming a playwright and things. I feel like we wrap up so quickly that even if there's just 15 more minutes of screen time, 20 more minutes of screen time, and I think that you know, in a film written this sort of breezily in, in this of this entertainment value, having that more time to maybe go a little bit deeper into ideas would have been nice because I think that my problem with this movie in part is sort of my problem that I had with the, the what's the one about um, Flap? What's that movie called? <laughs> Ordinary Terms People. Of, Terms of no. Endearment. That's not right. Oh, oh, Terms oh. of Endearment. Yeah, Terms right, of right. Endearment and Ordinary People are, are uh, linked 80s, together. They're like, like similar yeah. movies. And uh, so I think that when you sort of... Both movies, I would say, inspired by this one, frankly. Right. And, and so when you look at a film like Terms of Endearment or Annie Hall, there's sort of like this sort of just like malaise of emotional vignette development. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm left just like with a bunch of little like pebbles of ideas. And what am I going to do with all these What am I going to do with all my ideas? pebbles? Mm-hmm. You know? But I just find myself unsatisfied. I'm like, well, I want to sure. know a little bit more. I want to see a little bit more. I want to tease out ideas further. Right. But I th- And I think that's part of what contributes to me leaving Annie Hall, being like, yeah, this is really funny, and I think it's got some really good emotional truths in it, but I kinda, it kind of feels like they're slipping between my fingers as, I, as I'm seeing the credits, credits roll. 
does anyone have any uh like actual introspective thoughts on that because i i found a piece i have a piece of trivia about the original length of this movie oh, yeah, uh, that i, I can that. read out right now i don't have um, any i i think okay. i think that's an interesting point abram um i found myself satisfied with the the relationship and the and the emotional depth of the film i would say given its other tones you know it's not it doesn't start off and be like, "All right, today we're gonna make you, you, you we're gonna make you cry, and we're gonna make you think about the world a little differently." That's not really like what the world sure. the movie is is trying to say right from the beginning. True, but, but it, I see, I what, think I the see what point you're making. I mean, it makes sense to me. It, it certainly does, but I think the reason that it doesn't that doesn't hamper my enjoyment uh, is because the film uh, might not make you cry and think about the world differently, but for me, it makes me laugh and think about the world differently. Uh, and it also has some incredibly unique filmic qualities that basically no other best picture we, we've watched sure. has even thought of touching. So those are three strong enough pillars to me that this like creative expression and also through the lens of we're, we're watching a movie about Alvi through the eyes of Alvi and he doesn't want to open himself up emotionally like that and and basically just watching the movie as a as a 90 minute comedy that has some some interesting uh film qualities and and interesting uh thoughts about relationships and love and development personal development that we've that we've talked about at length here uh, is enough to me to feel satisfied as i can watch plenty of other movies that give me emotional gratification and tie up their loose ends nicely but this one doesn't do that and in its messiness it actually feels more honest to the reality of relationships and sure. these these two people that we're watching don't have the their they don't have their ends tied up nicely uh, and and you know maybe that's maybe that's just how life how the cookie crumbles sometimes it's pro- it's probably the overuse of a large vibrating egg that would cause them with untied ends i would say sure true uh, <laughs> uh, anyway Abram, let me know how this length tickles your fancy okay. here the first rough cut of this film ran 2 hours and 20 minutes long among the scenes eliminated were Alvi's former classmates in the present day, Alvi as a teenager, a scene in a junk food restaurant featuring Danny Aiello, extensive additional scenes featuring Carol Kane, Janet Mangolin, Colleen Dewurst, and Shelley Duvall, a fantasy, a fantasy segment at Madison Square Garden featuring the New York Knicks competing against a team of five great philosophers. Um, God, that would be so funny. Yeah, there's oh also a, like the moment extended... when, he's, when he runs away from the party to watch the Knicks game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's also uh, an extended version of the Christopher Walken driving scene. Uh, so, yeah. Sounds like Christopher Walken just crashed right now. <laughs> yeah, I think so. We got a whole bunch of things going on here. Um, let's see. What other what other interesting trivia do I have? I have oh! a point that I will... Oh, go. Oh, okay. Go, you, go, go right ahead. You know what? We'll break up the trivia. Okay. Give me your, give me your, give me your actual thought, Demo. I am, I am usually not a man to notice picture editing very much in a movie. I, I notice it subliminally. Subliminally. In this movie, oh boy, oh boy, do I believe that this picture editing is extremely important for the comedy. Hmm. It might seem kind of obvious, but I will say my favorite comedic moment is the cocaine scene where yes. he's being pressured to do some coke and he's like, he's about to give in, he's about to do it. And he, he puts the little bit of, bit of it on his finger and he puts it in his nose right, like, the oh my God, the writing. So he gets told it's very expensive. And then he puts it in mm-hmm. your nose. Achoo! The the powder goes everywhere, and then boom, we cut, and we're like four months later down in the down the road. That yeah. see that cut is like the, one of the funniest cuts I've seen in a long yeah. while. And because they hold it for like two frames. Yeah, the, and, and then they, they, they cut. Yeah, the technique of cutting on the joke 
is used over and over and over in this film, yeah. and it really works. It really works yeah. well. Well, it, it's uh, used not only for jokes, but for jokes that also have like dialectical meaning in a really interesting way. Um, they, so they'll be having a conversation of something called meaning. No, genuinely. I mean, seriously, they'll be no, talking I... about someone or talking about a moment, and and boom, we cut back to that scene in a way that connects them, even though they're worlds apart in terms of time, in terms of development of our characters, really seamlessly. So the the film does feel interconnected with itself even though it is ostensibly an unsolved jigsaw puzzle it's you opening the box and looking at the pieces and you're like there is a story here and and it's connecting just those couple pieces it's like it's like if you took the jigsaw puzzle and made it one long line and you're like this doesn't quite make a full picture well that doesn't make sense well you know what i'm saying <laughs> that's <laughs> is, dialectical is it, right there is it connects <laughs> in in reasonable ways even though the picture isn't completely uh solved in the order that you're watching it Hmm, hmm, hmm. I'm gonna go build a puzzle like that right now. And you, okay, don't you right. try to stop me. <laughs> right. uh, let's see. Oh, uh, Timo, to that point about the, about a quick thing of trivia about the uh, the cocaine scene. Apparently, an accident. He he was he he was he didn't actually he didn't actually mean to sneeze into the cocaine. But the audience, the test audiences, loved it so much that they had to build in like dead air time after it happens because it was such it would cause of such uh, uproarious laughter in it's the theaters. It's so funny. Just like it's that so scene, good. that whole setup, they're pressuring him to do it so much that everyone wants him to snort some. Mm. He looks like he's going to do it and then he it's all gone and then <laughs> Yeah, really. Uh, let's see. Really uh, the last piece of trivia that I have are alternate titles for this film. Mm. Uh, so let me know how some of these hit you. The film's uh, the film's working title was Anhedonia. I don't know how to say that, but it's A N H E D O N I A. Bad title. Uh, Anhedonia. Anhedonia. Okay, thank you. The inability to feel pleasure. United Artists fought against it. Among other things, they were unable to come up with an ad campaign that explained what the meaning of the thing that it meant. Other titles that Alan suggested were... Uh, let, me know, uh, let me know which one of these is your guys' favorite. It Had to Be Jew, A Roller Coaster Named Desire, and Me and My Goy. <laughs> now, some of those lean a little too heavily into the Judaism aspect of his yeah. character to where I don't know if this film would have had as wide appeal. Um, but I, I think the simplicity of Annie Hall is, is both a positive and a negative is it. If you don't know that there's a Woody Allen movie, if you don't know, it's, it's a, a, a commentary on, on uh, the structure and, and the history kind of, of uh, rom-coms. The Which name is very Hall reverential too. I will. I just want to yes. throw in there oh, the absolutely. notes to Groucho Marx and we go back to the thirties. It is a very reverential movie to the history, even though it totally yeah. blows mm-hmm. all those out of the water with its <laughs> I think, different construction. Uh, yeah. I think Woody Allen probably watches a few movies and that he likes to reference them in his work. Yeah. <laughs> Much like when we reference Sergio Leone in Black Adam. There you oh. go. Yeah, just... Oh, oh no. God. <laughs> Tucker, please continue your thoughts so we don't have to think about Black Adam anymore. Um, uh, no, well, I... I, I uh... Oh, okay. Tucker, you, you do bring up the, 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 the Jewishness of Alvi, an important thing to to talk about because it it really does matter in the film. Like it is a mm-hmm. big part of how he thinks of himself and how he is as a character. I am not Jewish, but it is very palpable in the film. All of you know, I think, sort of playing with stereotypes about Jewish men and sort of being very like self reflective about it. Um, I think it sets up a lot for funny jokes. I don't know how much it has to say about Judaism beyond just like Woody Allen is a Jew and he is, you know, makes fun of himself for it too. 
Yeah. Uh, I was just looking at a, a, a article um, about a bunch of different jokes in here. And instead of finding a joke, I actually found a, a piece of trivia that Tanner <gasps> didn't mention. Uh, is that the the Alvy's childhood home being under a roller coaster is not only a great bit of world building, it's really funny, it's very unique, uh, but that wasn't in the original script. They found that when locations yeah. scouted. Yeah. It's a real place. And they're like, screw it, yeah, no, yeah, this is great, we'll include it. <laughs> it's a hotel, apparently, that exists, it really existed just under this roller coaster. They tore it down, eventually, apparently, uh, years and years ago. But I did want to, just before we get into maybe closing thoughts or maybe just giving this baby a score... Uh, the wins and noms for Annie Hall. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it was a big winner. It got four out of five here for wins. It won Best Picture, obviously. It won Best Actress in a Leading Role for Diane Keaton, who, again, I is really great in this movie. Um, it won Best Director for Woody Allen. Uh, won Best uh, Original Screenplay for Woody Allen. And uh, Woody Allen was also nominated for Best Actor. So that's the only one it didn't come away with that year. Yeah, interesting. I, I think a great set of wins, all of which make a lot of sense to me, and I'm very yeah. glad that it won. You know, there, yeah. there might have been something else that one of us has a poster of that came out this year, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy with Woody Allen <laughs> and, and yeah. Annie Hall winning a bunch of awards. I wouldn't <laughs> also, wanna... I, will, I will mention external trivia, Woody Allen trivia. Uh, he has the most original screenplays to his name uh, at 16. Next one down uh, has four. So, Damn. so he, he's he's up there in terms of yeah. nominations. Uh, Tanner, I just want to say it before people try to correct you. You said that Diane Keaton is really good in this movie. She's actually Annie Hall. I just didn't want any comments about oh, that. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, let's see. Oh, I, I did want to look up because I was going to say, you know, maybe the only thing that this a nomination it was missing was uh, was editing, as Timo pointed out, but. Lo and behold, well, Star Wars won Best Editing that year. And so anyone who knows anything about Star Wars knows that the original was saved. By the edit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks like a, it's really interesting because Annie Hall has basically all above the board uh, nominate above the line, excuse me, above the line nominations and wins. Uh, and Star Wars, I just, I just had to look it up because it is near and dear to uh, at least one of our hearts. All uh, of our hearts. You can be real. It, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, you the also text. have a Star Wars poster right behind you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Two um, of them. Yeah. It, it swept the text. Star Wars did. So oh, there Actually, you go. it's the same poster, but yeah. Yeah. Mine's bigger smaller. and better. Yeah, in many mm, ways. Let, let, me just, let, me just, <laughs> let me just say, kind of, kind of funny, you know, when, when, a, when a sort of flowery and maybe forgettable uh, emotional comedy wins Best Picture, and then the much more impressive science fiction epic wins all the, the, the tech categories. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting mm-hmm. phenomenon. Mm-hmm. No, no wonder. that is a, <laughs> that's a great observation. What possible recent <laughs> ceremony could Abram be talking about? Oh boy! Uh, does anyone have any closing thoughts on this? Yes. No? Oh yes, okay, I do actually. Okay. I just think that as a landmark piece of cinema, New Hope is much more important, and I think it should have won. But that's a different conversation sure. to have. My 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 yes, actual Abram score will reflect. That, <laughs> Uh, my, my actual closing statement, and I've been trying to think of a good analogy. It's like uh, we know Hasanabi. Our our viewers are mostly middle aged men, so they probably have no clue who Hassan Piker is. But let me yeah. make this a more general analogy. There's a lot of high people who are very fashionable, know a lot about fashion, who wear all kinds of insane clothing together. Like Hasanabi is often wearing these camo pants with these like orange dunks and this weird pullover shirt. Like I look at this one, like there's too much going on. I feel like I can't get anything out of this. But nonetheless, it's considered very, very great. 
And what I feel about Annie Hall is it's got all these observations and ideas, and they're all in this movie that I can appreciate and enjoy, but can't take a lot away from. And that's kind of where I come down on it in the end. I, I feel like it's, as I said, it's slipping through my fingers as, as I get further away from watching it. I love the humor, but I almost wish that we took some time to not make jokes. And, I, and, as, I, and as I was saying, I, I really appreciate in, in retrospect what it means for the film and the character that we're always making a quip. But as an audience member, I wonder what would have been done for sort of my connection to the film and its pacing if we weren't always in that um, tonal mode. Yeah. And I sort of find myself leaving, as I said, with like a with like a laundry list of thematic ideas that I really like, and sort of quotes and and amazing, amazing jokes. But that's kind of where my love for Annie Hall ends, and mm. it doesn't have uh, Han Solo in it, so that's where I want to stop. <laughs> that's a great Annie point. Hall. But it basically it has honestly almost more stacked cast. It has Ian Malcolm in it. That's pretty good. It does, but I mean, we're, yeah, we're, we're talking about about Truman Capote and uh, and uh, and Shelley Duvall and yeah. uh, and Jeff Goldblum. It's like there was some burgeoning talent here that parallels in some ways uh, Carrie Fisher and uh, what's his name? Oh God, uh, Harold Ford. What's his name? Uh, Harold, yeah, Ford. Uh, Harold uh, yes. Ford. Harold <laughs> Ford. And, and that other one. And the undiscovered um, Alec Guinness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. But, oh boy, man. Anyhow, I, I I watched this movie last night. I watched what? it a couple years ago. <laughs> uh, Tanner, you were there. What do you mean? Oh, what do you mean? oh yeah, uh, you're, right. you're right. And and I was going into last night's viewing. I was a little bit worried that it wouldn't hold up on a thematic reading. Is because I watched this film just as as a comedy, as as not even as best picture. I don't even think. Um, and I was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. This is fun. It's one of my one of my favorite uh, Woody Allen movies. Woody Allen, one of my favorite directors, because of this movie and many others. I recommend Sleeper, very overlooked film. Purple Rose of Cairo, also great. Crimes and Misdemeanors, Mid Midnight in Paris. Holy crap! But I digress. Mm-hmm. Watching this movie through the lens of we watch Best Picture winners not only uh, for their moment in film history, but for their thematic analysis because that's what that's ostensibly what quest has become uh, mm-hmm. over the course of our, of our history uh, and, and i was wondering if i would be able to pick out uh thematic things here and what i was able to find is that through my enjoyment of uh, of comedy of this fast writing of the interesting editing styles there is really interesting thematic stuff that is intertwined with all of that and these characters are so well realized and part of the reason why i connect so much to this movie is that there are those thematic underpinnings which as you said, yes, aren't tied up, but they are so prevalent and so fascinating and so raw and real and honest that I I enjoy the thematics and characters and world of this film, even externalized from it, from its comedy, more than many of these Best Picture winners that might have more grandeur and more emotional weight in terms of emotional crying, mostly. Um, but but this one works a lot better for me, and because that's it's easily one of my favorite Best Picture winners and one of the most interesting ones. Though I probably would have preferred Star Wars winning because that would have been awesome. <laughs> oh my god, can you fucking imagine Quest of the Best as oh, Star Wars? Star Wars. We'll get we to can it do eventually. It. Well, I don't... <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> I don't really have uh, much else to say about this film. I think you guys hit a lot of it. I did, I will say, I have come to a new understanding. My goal for, that I stated at the beginning did uh, come true. I am now... I feel like I, I, under, I get the wished upon a quest. Bit. Yeah. And it came true. Wow, just how it does. Let's see if our wishes for where this film will go also come true by giving it a score right now. Sure. 
Let's 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 run for the hills. Yeah, I'm gonna. Oh, I already, I already typed it in. Oops. Oh, Tucker already hit go. So everybody <laughs> else ready? Okay. Three, two, one, okay, go. Fine. I already hit go. And uh oh, we don't have an average, but we do have <laughs> okay. some scores. It's okay. It's okay. Um, <laughs> our average is eight point two. Where does that go? Uh oh. Oh, this uh -oh. is my favorite part of quest. This is my favorite part of quest. It's oh, time Lord, to do it. Yeah. We're past the hour mark, and it's time to deliberate. Oh, boom. So. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, dun. boom, boom. It oh, is wow. Abram's favorite time of quest because the films we have to deliberate. 8.2. We should say the score for Yeah, there we go. Is a, is, is it going to the breakdown? Oh, no. A Beautiful Mind and Spotlight. And hit the hit the breakdown first. I Let's know. hit those breaks. Yeah. We'll pump them a little bit. Mm -hmm. Tucker gave it a 9.5, followed by Abram 7.9, my 7.8, and Tanner 7.6. So we got we got three hooligans and one schmooligan here. <laughs> Godspeed, you know what I'm saying? Woo, yeah, doggy dog. Ain't that always the way, you know? <laughs> There's always a schmooligan among us. Oh, boy. So, <sighs> versus Spotlight, which is the bottom of the two, Beautiful Mind versus Spotlight. Hold on. Oh, oh, gee. I just oh, need to make, gee. this is just an aside to make here for a second. Uh -huh. I get all this shit for not liking Spotlight, and Timo's score is lower than mine. Hey, now, you, Timo never brings it up. Now, you in hindsight, right, and also in hindsight, I would make that score lower if I could. Lower than uh, Timo's? Lower than Timo's? Well, I don't like question I, here. I'm I, I'm not a huge Spotlight fan. I low six. In that. The real question. High is, five, low six. We're not re The real question spotlight. is. I'm gonna ignore. I'm gonna ignore what's going on over there. The real question is, would we put it above or below Annie Hall? I think we all know what my stance on this, but is. But in, in case there's any f viewers unfamiliar with my Spotlight take, I would put Spotlight well above Annie Hall. I, put, I think I would put Annie Hall above Spotlight. Yes. Yeah, I think the rest of us would do that. Yeah, so I know. I figured puts, it was coming. That okay. puts Annie Hall above Spotlight, but we what still about? have to contend with A Beautiful Mind. Yeah. Let's think, let's think back to that film. Um, um, I would... I know my choice. I have, I, I have, I'll say it. I'm going to put Annie Hall above Beautiful Mind as well. I too. liked a, a Beautiful... I didn't... That one was just kind of like eh in my mind as I remember it. But this one, I laughed a lot more, and so I'm gonna enjoy. I enjoyed it, like the, the viewing of funny. it. Yeah, beautiful so. mind. Not really a not really a gut busting comedy from my memory. Mm. He's got Harris. He's kind of silly. I yeah. say below a beautiful mind. Uh, I say above a beautiful mind, even though my score doesn't reflect that. I think this is the more interesting and important and uh, stronger film from a personal standpoint. There you okay. go, Tanner. I said. I said. I said uh, above. Even though you technically shouldn't be voting, uh, who knows? We're putting it above. It's going to go to the top. We, <laughs> we, do, we go individually. Either, either way, it'd be two against one anyway, so it goes above. Oh, sure. Great point. Yeah. So, I, I put it below Argo, though, just so you know. If it, ha if it, had, if it had come to that, I would have put it below Argo. Mm, if it had come to that, I would put Annie Hall above Argo, just so, we're saying, just so we have that on the record. <laughs> it, well, good thing it hasn't come to that. Yeah. Annie Hall is going to go at spot number 34 on our list. Right below Argo and right above A Beautiful Mind. So, yep. there you have it. That's pretty high up there. It's right around All About Eve. Another, uh, well, that's not really a romantic great movie. comedy. It's another great movie, but not not, not quite so, uh, well. Another, another movie where I'm the schmilligan and you guys are the hooligans. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well. Indubitably. Shall we? What shall? Take a visit to the spin wheel. Okay. Here it is. Okay. Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? 
Give us a movie that makes us squeal. Is it on digital? Is it on real? Wheel, wheel? <laughs> What's your deal? Whale's deal is number seven. Oh, number seven. Okay, uh, number seven is actually going to get us a movie that I'm very glad we're watching now as, a, as opposed to not uh, at the beginning of next year uh, because mm. this movie is actually referenced uh, in an upcoming film. Uh, we'll be watching the 1952 Best Picture winner starring... Uh, oh, I, oh, oh, never mind. Oh, actually, there's a yeah. I, this has a this is a this is a deep cuts everywhere. Uh, Charlton mm. Heston, uh, James Stewart, oh! Gloria Graham, uh, Cecil B. DeMille, uh, and also directed by Cecil B. DeMille. We'll be watching the greatest show on earth, and and yes. I and I say that's referenced because that's the film that uh, Sammy Fableman is watching in the trailer for the Fablemans. <laughs> so yes. we'll be seeing that film brought to screen in the modern day. What was your favorite part? You know, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Stop quoting on the Fable Man's trailer. Stop quoting on the Fable Man's trailer. Uh, you, you'll never stop me. You wanna, we got a whole other month of quote me quoting the Fable Man's trailer, baby. <laughs> well, we love family. Tear apart. Well, this is a two and a half hour movie, so uh, we get to go back to the good old days of Quest and the the, mm-hmm. the good old days of Hollywood, I guess. I don't really know much about this film. Do you? Have you guys it's ever seen it? It's the greatest show on Earth, guys. What is it about a circus? Is that what it's about? You want me to read the description here? I'm more of a greatest showman type of guy. Give me me the runtime and then give me the description. It's two hours, 32 minutes. Okay, two and a half. Okay, okay. Uh, To ensure a full profitable season, circus manager Brad Baden engages the great Sebastian, uh, though this moves his girlfriend Holly from her hard-won center trapeze spot. Holly and Sebastian begin a dangerous one-upmanship duel in the ring while he pursues her on the ground. Tucker, can I actually have the runtime in minutes? I, I understand time. One hundred fifty-two minutes. Thank you. Are you serious? No, no, he's <laughs> he's being a hooligan. And I'm being a schmooligan. I gave into it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There, the, the the saying goes as, as none of us have seen this movie. No. Barely anyone on Letterboxd has seen this movie. Only nine thousand people. That's a busy. Wow. Though. For a best. Yeah. Well, you know that is the whole point of the quest for the quest bestest. For the bestest. We get into the deep cuts of Hollywood history, and this might just be one of them. We'll see what we think of this film next time. I thank you guys for joining me on this great uh, discussion. I feel educated. My brain has been expanded, and uh, I guess we'll see if the commenters think so. If you believe that we are wrong or that our takes are far too representative of a young generation gone astray, let us know in the comments. Or People like this movie. Yeah, who's being the most woke in this video? (laughs) And, and of course, everyone should tune in next time for the greatest sh- the greatest show on earth. Well, we will talk about the greatest show on earth, the greatest show on earth. Quest funny. for the bestest. That's we'll funny. be back for the greatest show on earth. I'm gonna repeat Tanner's joke. It was so good. The greatest quest on earth, boys. The greatest quest on earth. Next time, right here. Until then, peace.